This is Oklahoma football. All right, we're back. Tyler Burton, Adam Jaquez, back at it again for another Gate Week edition of the Mainline Podcast. Sooners fresh off a of bye week are traveling down to Fort Worth on Saturday to take on TCU, a football team coached by Gary Patterson uh, that is all that always plays OU tough year in and year out. Despite throw all the records out, doesn't matter who's lining up on both sides of the football. Uh, TCU always poises a problem for for the Oklahoma Sooners. So, uh, Adam, it seems like it's been forever since we've seen OU play football game. And after that four overtime win against Texas, boy, I'm I'm excited to see what a win like that can do for this OU football team as we reach the midway point of this season. Yeah, I agree. It feels like we've had a million bye weeks already. We're already coming up on the end of October, and we we've only seen four OU games. It's so weird, and uh, I'm glad that. Uh, we've got a couple of weeks here where we're going to see OU play uh, in consecutive weeks. So I'm excited. It should be a fun matchup. I'm not really sure what to think about this. Um, you know, Texas was a good win, but it wasn't a cure-all by any means. Uh, unless they come out and just dominate, then we might start thinking about this team a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, as we were prepping for the podcast, I got to thinking also, like, how how do I feel going into this game? Should I be confident after OU beating Texas? Or should I think about, you know, uh, the, the first couple quarters and some of the, the errors, the mental mistakes, and some of the, uh, the weaknesses that, that OU still has displayed throughout the first four games of the season. So uh, it's going to be an interesting challenge. Like I said, Gary Patterson, he's, he's one of the most underrated coaches in the country, definitely in the Big 12. So we know he'll have his guys ready up in Fort Worth on Saturday morning. So, uh, Adam, let's just, let's just go right into it, man. Uh, I feel like something that we've been talking about seems like for the last three episodes, and we'll, we'll kind of touch on it again because um, – it, this could potentially be the week where we might see some fa- we might see some of the guys come back from suspension. Uh, this is honestly, I don't know. We, I've I've been a fan of OU football for you know for the better part of over twenty years, and you know be, being uh, you know intact social media, hearing what the uh, what the beat writers are saying, some of the recruiting guys, sources inside the program. This has definitely been the strangest thing the, these last three, four weeks with, with in terms of the Trajan Bridges suspension, Ramondre Stevenson. We finally got an answer on Chris Murray with the NCAA handling the eligibility. And then this whole Ronnie Perkins situation that's been going on for like the last month where it seems like it seems like one, one day you get some good news the next day. Um, you know, no, nobody knows what's going on. You've got multiple sources reporting different things. So uh, it seems like at this point right now, it's <laughs> pregame has never been more important as far as looking down there and seeing who's dressed out and, and going through warmups. Yeah, this was kind of the game that we initially had looked at, maybe not necessarily TCU, but the, the fifth game of the season, knowing that we were going to have a shortened season and the original suspension was supposed to be half a season, but then it felt like we kind of were going back and forth. Was it going to be the original six games and people kind of forgot about five? It seems like there's a lot of rumors swirling that uh, these guys are going to play. I really wonder, though, there's been so much talk throughout the entire offseason and, and during the season so far about these guys coming back and maybe the expectations are a bit too high. We really haven't seen Trajan Bridges do a whole lot. Last year, it was really all garbage time. In fact, the most notable thing he might have done was play a little bit of safety. Uh, Stevenson, Ramondre Stevenson, we saw a lot more. He had some some big games, um, laid down some big hits. But I just wonder if maybe our expectations are going to be a little bit too high for what these guys are going to contribute when they do come back. 
And I definitely think that going into this weekend for TCU, get, getting Perkins, Bridges, and Stevenson back, that, that that shouldn't be a make or break as far as whether or not OU can win this football game. OU's the more talented team uh, across the board. So without those three players, if they don't suit up on Saturday, which I think many people don't think that they will, OU still has the talent and should be uh, sh- should win that football game on on Saturday morning. So, uh, but Adam, just uh, you know, just kind of looking at it, it, it seems like this this TCU team, it's it's kind of been up and down. Uh, again, they're they play three games this year. They've got three common opponents, just like OU. Thirty seven, thirty four loss at home against Iowa State. Uh, tremendous football game. Thirty three, thirty one win down in Austin against Texas, and then uh, only scoring fourteen points in a in an at home loss against Kansas State. So three mutual opponents, three three teams that really it's it's been nice to kind of go back and watch some of the TCU films, seeing some of those uh, what what the plays that they're able to make, what they're doing against some common opponents that OU's already ran into so far this year. Uh, but kind of what are your initial impressions uh, looking at the Horn Frogs this upcoming weekend? Yeah, I don't really know what to make of them. Uh, you know, they they lose to Iowa State in the opener. They they started Max Browning uh, instead of or Brown, it might be Matt Browning instead of Max Duggan, uh, and then he came in late, but it wasn't enough. And then the next week they play Texas and they beat them. But again, it's Texas. They seem to have their number. Texas seems to lose games they shouldn't all the time. Uh, and then you know it seemed like they had the momentum going into K State. K-State is playing a backup quarterback. There's no reason they shouldn't have, have won that game and, and they lost and they could only put 14 points on the board. It, and that was late in the game. So it really was never in doubt for K-State. So I don't really know what to make of this team. Yeah, and again, as we were going through the prep preparation process of this, kind of going back, looking over some of the team stats on, on both sides of the football, uh, OU coming into this game, you know, averaging 30 points on offense, uh, number number two in the Big 12 right now uh, behind Texas. So, uh, but again, kind of what you expect year in and year out from a Lincoln-Riley offense, OU's first in the Big 12 in yards gained, first in the Big 12 in passing yards, sixth in the Big 12, however, in rushing yards. So we saw a little bit of improvement uh, in the Texas game a couple weeks ago. The offensive line played much better. TJ TJ Pledger was finally that spark. We finally got to see what everybody was so excited about him. So uh, OU, even though it kind of feels like, you know, the the first four weeks of the season, they've kind of been a little underwhelming uh, as far as their performance goes on the offensive side of the football. But then when you kind of take a step back and look at it, they're they're the 10th best uh, offense in America right now. So uh, definitely going to be excited to see what Spencer Rattler does going into this game. Uh, again, or, or what, what Spencer Rattler are we going to see? Are we going to see the, the uh, you know, the f- first half against Texas where he, you know, ma- made those minimal mistakes, had two crucial back-to-back turnovers? Or are we going to see a Spencer Rattler, the, the guy that played in those four overtime periods where he went toe for, or, you know, he went, uh, toe to toe with Sam Ellinger and and led OU to that to that big time win and the in their biggest rival game of the year. So, uh, but but TCU, you know th- their bread and butter with Gary Patterson. They they pride themselves on having a good defense. Uh, the, the defense has been, I don't I, I don't want to say not up to par, but I mean they're giving up 188 passing yards a game, 178 rushing yards a game, which you know in total yards isn't that bad. But when you look and see the total number of points that they're getting put up on them. Uh, they're they're giving up 29.7 points a game, so it's going to be interesting watching that that OU offense take on the TCU defense this year. Yeah, so the perception is that TCU is a very good defense, and Gary Patterson is this genius, and I, I think he does some really good things there. I went and looked back at the stats basically since TCU 
joined the Big 12 and what their their total defensive rankings were. Um, I'm curious. You may be looking at my notes or may know the answer, but do you do you have an idea of you know how often do you think they're a top 25 defense? Uh, well, I, I mean, I you you've got to think that it's like what over the last decade, it's probably been more than more than 50 percent over over the last 10 years that, that they've had a top 25 defense. Uh, so I think I did these rankings back through 2012, and they've only been a top 25 defense once, uh, including this year. So I'll, I'll read the, their rankings, starting with this year and going backwards on where they, they rank for total defense. Right now, this year, currently 26, last year, 58, year before that, 40, 16, 64, 65, 8, 54, 30, 28. So it's interesting that when you look at that and you think, hmm. I normally would think they're fairly consistent, you know, at least like you said, 50% top 25, but that's really not the case. Well, I, I know that TCU has always been a thorn in the side that, you know, they've, they've got that reputation for playing really good defense across the big 12. Uh, but something that we've seen again, since Lincoln Riley's taken over here in Norman is, uh, you know, even though Gary Patterson, you know, he hangs his hat on his defensive game planning and the performance of those 11 guys, Lincoln Riley, he's, you know, he's, uh, he, he's been the better coach in, in that matchup every single time they've taken the field. So, uh, but again, it, it'll definitely be interesting to watch. I know that uh, coming into this weekend, going back, looking at the film for both TCU and OU, there were a couple matchups and we'll, we'll start here on the offensive side of the football. A couple things that I think are really going to, you know, make or break, or uh, I guess a better way to phrase it are going to go a long way in determining not just if OU can win this game, but if they can win it easily going away. So uh, first thing that, that, that sticks out to me is, you know, a T TCU defense uh, th this year, the, the defensive back position is definitely the strongest part uh, of that TCU football team. The secondary, they've got two elite safeties uh, in Trayvon Merrick and Darius Washington, both guys of which pro football focus rated those two as the highest rated safety duo in 2019 so a lot of experience a lot of playmaking a lot of tackles and interceptions over the last couple years uh for, from that tandem right there so that's that's definitely going to be something where spencer you know he, he's going to play his, he's going to play his best football game especially given you know you give gary patterson a bye week to prepare for ou we've seen the mental mistakes we've seen those young redshirt freshman type plays that have gotten spencer into trouble uh throughout the first four games of the year so uh, Rattler, he's going to have to be on his A game, and we'll, I'll throw this back over to you, Adam. When you when you need to take the pressure off of a redshirt freshman quarterback, and again, he's your best playmaker on the offensive side of the football, but what we've seen over these last five, six games where OU is, has beat TCU, OU's had a tremendous amount of success running the football in every single one of those football games. So this is another one of those instances where you expect to see that offensive line uh, that Bill Beanbow's group take another leap forward uh, and do their part in, ru in running the football. Yeah, I think all the recipe ingredients are there to come together. Uh, we saw the offensive line improve a lot against Texas. We saw TJ Pledger hit uh, 100 yards by a runner for the first time this year. It's possible we could have Ramondre Stevenson back. So you'd like to think that everything's there to, to really work and, and go in our favor. I do think it helps that, you know, when we are passing the ball that Spencer Radler, especially in the second half against Texas, uh, really took a step forward and was just taking what the defense was giving him and, and not trying to force it too much. So hopefully that continues. I, I feel a lot more confident in that group going forward. But um, 
again, I feel like I need to see it. I need to see it again uh, against uh, another good team because of what we saw against Iowa State and Kansas State where, you know, there was a collapse uh, at the end. Yeah, and, and we'll kind of dive into what we want to see from an improvement standpoint, guys, that we hope to see take a next step or continue to, you know, play, play extremely well for OU moving into the second part of the season. But uh, transitioning over to the other side of the football, when, when the OU defense is on the field going up against Max Duggan and that TCU offense, uh, Max Duggan, you know, he's, he's, he's slowly having a very good reputation uh, for being a quality quarterback in this upcoming league. I know that last year, uh, even though it was an extremely close game in Norman for, I think it was a, what, a two point conversion away from OU from TCU upsetting OU here in Norman, but, uh, Max Duggan last year, seven of 21 throwing the football for only 65 yards, but 12 carries and 92 yards. So, uh, he's I, I, going back and looking at the stacks, Duggan, he's, he's made a tremendous step up in, in his ability to throw the football this year, having a completion percentage, uh, of at 69%. So, uh, one of the things that again that it seems like it always gives the OU defense fits, no matter who the offense or who who's coaching the, the the defense as the coordinator position, whether it's Mike Stoops or an Alex Grinch, it's when OU gets into a dogfight with those mobile quarterbacks on the other side of the field. Uh, we, you know, we we're, we're going to have nightmares for 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 years about the number of rushing touchdowns and rushing success that Sam Ellinger's had against OU in his career. Uh, but when you look at Max Duggan and, you know, the the wheels that he's got, the playmaking ability that he can have when he gets outside of the pocket, OU's going to have to be, you know, significantly uh, sound when it comes to fundamentals and their assignments, keying in on the right guys. So uh, that Max Duggan versus the OU linebackers is one that I've got as the, uh, the, the biggest matchup that I'm going to be watching for. Uh, especially, like I said, you're going to have to you're going to have to contain him, not let him get outside the pocket, and and you know pick up those long chunk plays with his legs. So that's definitely one thing that I'm going to be watching. Adam Max Duggan versus uh, you know Deshaun White, uh, uh, David Uguaybu, uh and, and Brian Osmo. That's going to be a that's going to go a long way in determining how successful TCU is going to be uh, moving the ball on OU Saturday. For sure. We saw against Texas quite a few times where Ellinger was pretty much dead to rights and escaped right out of the pocket, escaped contain. And even when we had a spy on him, sometimes the spy wasn't properly containing him either. So looking for some improvement there. Max Duggan is still a very mobile guy. TCU's offensive line, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about Texas going into that game. Their offensive line was pretty solid, not allowing very many sacks per game. OU was able to get Ellinger six times still. And, uh, and TCU is coming in this game quite a bit worse, allowing 3.3 sacks per game, which ranks 66th out of, I think, 76 teams that are playing right now. So a big opportunity for the defensive line to get after Duggan and, and duplicate their efforts from the, the Texas game. Yeah, and going into the year, not having not having Ronnie Perkins, uh, having him suspended for for the first few games, and Jalen Redmond deciding to opt out. That defensive line was the unit that, you know, myself and, and don't don't want to speak for you, but I think a lot of other OU fans that they were you know extremely nervous about were, were we going to get the playmaking ability in that uh, on that defensive line to you know wreak havoc, stop the run game, uh, get pressure on the quarterback, and get sacks. So uh, seeing the amount of success uh, and the uh, again the positive strides that they've taken Isaiah Thomas, Perrion Winfrey, 
Those two guys have been fantastic throughout the first four games of the year. Josh Ellison is slowly coming on. He start, it's starting to slow down for him. He's starting to make plays. And LaRon Stokes has, has been a, a good, consistent you know, presence on that defensive line. So uh, I think that it's going to be extremely crucial uh, for, for OU to be able to stop the run game uh, with that front seven. And, and again, uh, it's going to be one of those situations where they're going to have to force Max Duggan. If, if Max is going to beat him, they're going to be throwing the football. So, Adam, on Saturday, and again, OU's defense seems like they play well for 80% of the game, but there's always those moments throughout these first four games where there's, you know, there's a there's a busted coverage, there's missed tackles, there's, you know, mental mistakes. What kind of defense are we are you expecting to see OU's trot out there on Saturday? Man, you'd love to see them come out with a, a ton of confidence and fire uh, the way that they finished that Texas game in the, in the final overtime and the way they played through three and a half quarters would love to see a duplication of, of those efforts. Definitely cleaning up a few things here and there. OU is not doing very well with penalties. We, we averaged 10 a game and you've got to guarantee Buki's good for at least one 15 yarder uh, pretty much every game. So clean those up, play, play a little bit better there. And I think, I think, this defense can come out and have a really good performance, but I also think they could have a really bad performance too. So I, I would love to see them string, you know, two, two great performances together and create that momentum going into the rest of the season. Two things I'm going to be looking for uh, watching from my couch on Saturday. Uh, one, I want to see if we continue to have the uh, young guys rotating in at the secondary position. Uh, how, how many snaps is a guy like Woody Washington going to get? Uh, this upcoming Saturday. I think that he, you know, uh, you know, especially in the Texas game, Jane Davis was probably your most consistent cornerback. Woody Washington, he flashed, made some really good open field tackles and having that big interception in the end zone. So uh, hopefully we'll see more Woody Washington throughout that football game. And also, number two, I want to see what they've done in the last two weeks, having the bye week, what they've been able to do at that safety position opposite DTY. Has Pat Fields has anybody been able to rise up and challenge him for playing time? We we heard so many things in the offseason. And again, I know we had a shortened offseason, no spring ball, uh, hardly any summer conditioning, limited fall camp. We heard so many things about a Bryson Washington coming into play, uh, a, a recruit that, that Grinch really was able to pick off last minute, get him. We thought he was a Texas lock. He's coming into Norman, highly recruited guy. Was he able to use those two weeks to get up to speed? That that way he's able to you know jump into the rotation and uh, make plays and hopefully not have any, uh, not have as many holding calls as what we've seen from from Pat Fields the last couple of weeks. Well, not just the holding calls, but the missed tackles that he, he's in position and can't bring a guy down or can't even touch a guy in some cases. But I mean, let's look at last uh, the week before against Texas, Buki. And Pat Fields were the two defensive backs who I believe played the most snaps of, of anyone on the team. And those are your two weakest positions in the secondary. I know Trey Norwood played a little bit. Washington didn't even see the field, Bryson Washington, that is. So I guess those are your two guys that you would look at to possibly replace those guys. I don't know if anyone wants to see Justin Broyles up there again. But I, I mean, you're 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 limited on options, and neither of those guys got that much run at, at all. So I, I don't know. I just don't. I'll believe it when I see it. I guess. And looking at the receiver position that the the TCU guys uh, the the TCU has in that in that receiving room, there, there's really not anybody on on tape that that truly scares me. You know, you don't have. 
you, you don't have somebody like a Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State, a TJ Vasher, Texas Tech, which is coming up for OU in the next few weeks. So you would hope to be able to get some get some of those younger guys in, get them some more reps, get them some more confidence, and put together two back-to-back weeks of strong secondary play as we head into these next few games where you're going to have some more high-powered offenses with a Texas Tech and a TJ Vasher, 6'5 wide receiver that, that makes acrobatic catches and does things that so few can do. Uh, on the football field and we all know about the the, the playmakers down at Oklahoma State Tylen Wallace he looks like he's finally back to his old self after recovering from that ACL injury so uh, definitely something that I'm going to be looking forward to I, I think that the offense is going to play well this weekend but I really want to see the consistency and that defense putting together two back-to-back weeks yeah I think there's plenty of ability here to see a really complete game from both sides of the ball. Will we get that? I don't know. I have questions Three about quarters. both sides. So yeah, <laughs> and a full game. Uh, yeah, for sure. So we'll see. I, we have everything we need. We just got to yeah. put together. And, and OU again, t- two and two um, going into this game. This will be the midway point of the season. Um, everything, again, OU is going to have to have a little bit of help, but OU's team goals as far as the Big 12 championship goes again to a New Year's Six Bowl, all that's still right out there in front of them. They're going to have to have some help. We're going to see a little bit of that help. Hopefully it comes to fruition up in Stillwater this weekend when Iowa State uh, rolls in, in in there to take on the Cowboys. So, Adam, as we move into the to the uh, second part of the football season, uh, kind of one of the questions that I wanted to poise to you, and we'll kind of rotate back and forth here, who are three players on this OU team that need to either A, take a step forward, or B, continue to play the, their best football for OU to, to run the table and close out the year strong? Yeah, first on my list would be Theo Weiss. We saw him really step up in the third quarter against Texas, mainly on one drive where I think he he got about three first downs on that drive on really tough catches at the first down marker. But I would love to see him be more present throughout the entire game. And and to be honest, up until that Texas game, he was pretty quiet. So would love to to see a lot more from him. Uh, going forward yeah I I think that other than you know maybe Marvin Mims I think that the big the the playmaking ability of Theo Weiss is is probably number one on that offense so uh don't you know again he was crucial in that Texas game seemed like every time OU needed a big play needed a big catch a third down conversion Theo Weiss was the guy that was able to come through um so again hopefully uh we can see more opportunities for Theo to make some plays out in space would see some deep balls down the field uh, but I think that that's a fantastic pick, and hopefully he's got a he's poised to have a a, a big time second half of the year. Number one for me, um, I just went I went at the quarterback position. Spencer Rattler, kind of what I alluded to uh, earlier in the podcast, going into the second half of the year, what Spencer Rattler are we going to get? Are we going to get first half versus Texas mental mistakes, back to back crucial turnovers, guy that's you know a little bit uneasy, a little anxious in the pocket, or are we going to see that guy who showed showed poise in the pocket. He was calm, cool, collected. And he, like I said, he went toe to toe with who many people thought was going to be, you know, an all American quarterback in Sam Ellinger. And he took that game over and overtime and, and uh, led OU to a win. So I think Spencer, you know, quarterback play is always a huge thing, especially in a Lincoln Riley type offense. So if we see the best of Spencer Rattler for the rest of the year, I think OU is going to be in a really good position to run the table. I agree. I agree. Uh, second on my list, I've got David Aguebu. 
really what I want him to do is just keep doing what he's doing right now and, and continue to, to grow and, and continue to make bigger and bigger plays as the season goes on. We've seen him do several things already with the sack and, and the punt block, but I really want him to be so good that Grinch really can't take him off the field in a, in a way that, that Kenneth Murray was at points last year. I think he's got all the physical tools to make that happen, uh, but you've got to make yourself so good that you at least got to get the majority of the snaps because I think he can be a true difference maker in the middle of the defense. Yeah, completely agree. He's from a from a physical standpoint, you know, size, strength. He's probably the closest thing that we've seen to Kenneth Murray um, since <laughs> since Kenneth was here a year ago. So, <laughs> got all the physical tools, uh, the the size, the speed, the strength. Um, definitely going to be interested to see, you know, if he's able to continue to take more snaps away from Deshaun White uh, moving forward into the, the the later part of the season. So, uh, number two for me, um, uh, this is kind of a, uh, a three person wrapped into one type, type scenario. Uh, I, I went with the guard position, whether it's left guard, right guard, uh, Marquise Hayes, Tyrese Robinson, you're now finally getting Chris Murray back. I think prior to the start of the year, many people, once he, you know, his transfer waiver was accepted, many people pegged him as a guy who could come in and immediately take somebody's job away. So, uh, the running the running game we saw in, in Texas uh, it took a took a big step forward. We're going to have to see that continue to progress throughout the second part of the season. Take more pressure off Spencer Rattler. Once you get those big leads, really be able to lean on your offensive line and grind out those long drives uh, to to put the football game away. So again, Marquise Hayes, Tyrese Robinson, Chris Murray, those two guard positions, step it up, take some pressure off of Creed. And uh, let's run the football. So I've got the I've got the guard positions as the second most important position uh, for the for the second part of this year. I agree with that. I had Marquise Hayes as my final player. I uh, specifically went with him because I think his ceiling is much higher than what he's played up to this year. He's looked slow. He's he's been late getting over on a pull a couple of times. Uh, he played a lot better against Texas, like pretty much everybody on the team. But I, I still think his ceiling is is very high, and I think he's a big key in in what the running game can accomplish. I, I could, couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I'll kind of close it out here. Number three, uh, went with somebody who has has been really consistent. We haven't heard too much from him. Which again, if you're if you're playing defense and you're not, you know, if if, if we're not hearing your name talked about a lot, it's usually a good thing. Usually means you're not making any mistakes, anything like that. Um, I went with Jaden Davis. Um, a, a guy that has been probably OU's most consistent cornerback, most consistent DB throughout the first four games of the year. The Having the ability to roll out your best corner on an island to shut down the opposing team's best wide receiver is such an advantage. We, we see it year in and year out with the Ohio States, the LSUs that are able to put those, those big-time recruits, those big-time DBs out on an island and essentially take away – uh, a team's biggest playmaker on the offensive side of the football. So, uh, Jaden, he, he's been consistent. He's been good throughout the first four games of the year. You look and see what's coming down the pipeline with T.J. Vasher at, at Texas Tech. We all know about Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State. So, um, Jaden Davis, the ability for him to go toe-for-toe, toe, kind of fill in for what Parno Motley did last year. I don't think people give him enough credit for what he was able to do in his final season in Norman. But Jane Davis taking that next step, being that lockdown corner that you were brought in here to be, uh, I think is going to go a long way in the uh, overall success of this team as we finish out 2020. 
Yeah, I I feel like he's been really solid other than the one touchdown that he, he missed a tackle on uh, that Iowa State scored. And in his defense, back. perfect throw. You, you yeah. got to make tackle, but again, play, playmakers yeah. make plays. Yeah, I, I just don't know what more we can really ask out of him. So really, uh, he doesn't get targeted that much. I don't think he's been called for a penalty so far this year, unlike everybody else on the secondary. So uh, really just keep doing what you're doing. And uh, maybe, you know, when it does get tossed your way, maybe pick one of those off. But uh, he's been really great so far. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree with you more. And like I said, OU Texas this upcoming Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, it, it's going to be a fun one. Definitely excited to see the Sooners get back on the field. Um, and let's kind of let's kind of transition into what's going on on the national college football scene because we're 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 going to see some more teams from from another conference finally take the field this year. So uh, the Big Ten is back. Eight games starting this Saturday in eight weeks. No buys. No room for error. COVID. Stay away because uh, that could that could get dicey in a hurry. So, uh, Adam, looking at the Big Ten, there's a couple big games this weekend, and and kind of before we dive into those, kind of what what's your uh, what, what are some of the things that you're expecting to see from the Big Ten Conference this year? Is it Ohio State and everybody else, or could there be another challenger that comes up there and, uh, uh, you know, ch- challenges the Buckeyes for that top spot? Well, first of all, I am really glad the Big Ten is back. I didn't think I would miss them as much <laughs> as I did. You missed those uh, 10-7 games? <laughs> those 10-7, three yards in a cloud of dust games and bitter cold uh, late October weather. I do like that their schedule has a lot of Friday night games this year. I think that just makes it a little bit more interesting. And uh, I, one thing I didn't miss is I didn't miss the 11 a.m. Uh, random kickoffs with like Rutgers and Purdue, but, <laughs> but, uh, but definitely the schedule looks a lot meatier this week. So I love it. From a perspective of what we can look at from the conference, I thought Penn State was probably the best competition, but Micah Parsons opted out, Journey Brown opted out. They still have Noah Kane, who we OU fans know a little bit about from recruiting days, and he had 443 yards rushing last year, so he'll probably have a breakout year with with all the opportunities for those carries. I think Sean Clifford's a, a solid quarterback, but I just don't see enough there to make me think that they can can take on Ohio State. And then the rest of the conference, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin. I don't know. I, I don't know that any of them have, have enough, but I will say in a shortened season, a shortened schedule, all it can take is, is one game. Yeah, it, it takes one game and, and it takes the, uh, it takes one team to get hot at the right time, especially with a shortened schedule. Um, I, I kind of like some of the other teams in the, in the conference. I think that Michigan State, I think that they've got the right head coach in that position. I um, think that the, they're poised to kind of take the next step and kind of get back into Big Ten contention here in the next two, three years. Uh, Michigan, that'll be interesting to see what Jim Harbaugh do, does. They lost a lot of talent, a lot of talent at key positions to, to the NFL and to, uh, to graduation last year. So Minnesota's another one. They're kind of my wild card team this year. Uh, I don't think people give uh, P.J. Fleck uh, enough respect what he does up there. Uh, they've got their best two playmakers on the offensive side of the football back this year. And like I said, in a shortened season, if you guys are able to come out hot, come out swinging, uh, they're definitely poised to, uh, I think, take a big step uh, to, towards compete for the Big Ten. However, I still think Ohio State has too much talent, too much firepower on the offensive side of the football where I, I really don't see – like you said, with Penn State losing, especially Micah Parsons, 
I don't think anybody in the Big Ten challenges Ohio State this year. Hopefully I'm wrong, but I don't see it. I don't think so either. Um, well, let me ask you this, though. We've seen in other conferences, like Arkansas has, has kind of risen up. Uh, Virginia Tech has looked pretty solid. So there's some other teams that have looked pretty good this year that, that we didn't see coming. The Big Ten, you know, we kind of have those those top four or five teams. Nebraska's got a quarterback coming back. It's, I think, what, year three of Scott Frost. I, I don't know if anyone's expecting much out of them, which may play in their favor. They could exceed pretty low expectations. Michigan State, <laughs> we really haven't seen a quarterback from them in a while. I think Mark D'Antonio probably stayed a little bit too long there. But they have a new coach, so new life. Maybe that could be a difference there. We know they, they have some talent in East Lansing. Do you see anybody that could maybe rise up and have a solid year? I think that you could definitely see some see some teams that um, have kind of been you know middle tier towards the bottom of the Big Ten for the last few years um, take a step up. And again, with a shortened season, I don't see anybody beating Ohio State, but I think you could see like a Minnesota or a Nebraska or a Michigan State, you know, go six and two, five and three, you know, put, put together a good run. But at, at the end of the day, very similar to how it is in the ACC. Uh, I know that North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and even Miami have kind of, you know, you know, taken a little bit more of a next step. They're getting a little bit more competitive amongst each other. But at the end of the day, I, I think Ohio State with Justin Fields, you know, Garrett Wilson, Tr Trey Sermon, um, I, I, I just don't see anybody, especially in a shortened year when uh, experience, especially at the quarterback position, is so important. I don't see anybody challenging Ohio State. Hopefully I'm wrong. Uh, but I fully expect uh, the, the Buckeyes to be uh, in that final four here in the next couple months. I will, I will say there was one game. It's not on your picks for betting. And I was kind of surprised you didn't take this one. Indiana, six and a half point dog at home to Penn State. Indiana coming off one of their best years in probably like 40 years with their uh, returning quarterback with a, a great name, Michael Penix. You didn't, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't take the bait on no, that one. No, I, I didn't want to take the bait on that one. It, it, definitely it was one that I looked at. But, again, how many times, you know, whether it's in Indiana or uh, another program who's, you know, not not always near the top or always in contention, how many times do we see teams that come into the year with a lot of expectations that they're not used to getting year in and year out? How many times do we see them fall flat on their face? And especially playing against the second the preseason second best team in the Big Ten. That wasn't one that I I felt too confident in compared to the other ones I've got on my card. Uh, but again, it, so you it's think gonna, they won't cover this, or you you think Indiana as a six and a half dog is is overmatched? Because I feel like the spread should be like thirteen and a half or so. Like I, it seems yeah, I, it seems I, really close. I think Penn State covers that. Or so you're you're fighting for. You think that six and a half is too close? It looked it looked really low to me. It looked really low. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I could see Penn State winning that by, you know, t 10 points going away in the fourth yeah. quarter. So, uh, typical typical uh, Big Ten football game, you know, maybe like 10-3 going into the uh, you know last five <laughs> minutes, and uh, they score a touchdown to go away 17-3. So, uh, yeah. but it, it'll definitely be nice going uh, having the Big Ten back, more more football games on, t on TV, more things for us to talk about. Two big games this weekend. We'll kind of touch on them a little bit more. Uh, as we move into our cards, but Nebraska at Ohio State, Nebraska or Scott Frost, Nebraska, you guys were kind of the the leader getting the Big Ten back uh, to, to playing football. Here you go, go to Columbus. You guys are taking on Justin Fields Week One, so I'll definitely be tuned into that. That was one game Ohio State favored by twenty six and a half. 
I was so tempted to take that. We know the firepower that that Ryan Day has uh, up there in in Columbus, but uh, again, that that's if, if there's one thing I've learned when, when it gets up that high, as long as it's not Clemson versus Georgia Tech, and honestly, Clemson versus Syracuse, hell, they might put ninety on them this weekend. Uh, <laughs> I'm scared to death of the backdoor cover. So. Too. Uh, and yeah. then Michigan traveling to Minnesota. I've got that one on my card. We'll touch on that one here in a few minutes. So, um, and then let's let's kind of transition back into the Big 12 this weekend, Adam. This is probably the best slate of games that OU, that the Big 12 has had across the conference as a whole. What are a couple of games that you that you're excited to be uh, kind of following throughout the day? Well, it might might be the first time all 10 teams are playing on the same day uh, due to some some uh, changes in the schedules, but. Uh, obviously, OUTCU, I think Iowa State, Oklahoma State's a very interesting one there in the 230 slot. I guess OU fans are rooting for Iowa State in this case. Some might not be. I think if, if Oklahoma 100%. State wins that game, yeah, if Oklahoma State wins that game, you're basically hoping that both Iowa State and Kansas State lose uh, a total of three games at least. Yeah. Uh, in the in the conference, that's a really tough ask. So I think you really want Iowa State to go on the road and, and take out Oklahoma State. Um, I honestly feel a lot better about that if Spencer Sanders is playing instead of uh, Illingworth at, for Oklahoma State. So we'll see what happens there. And then Baylor in Texas, I think it is really intriguing. Uh, there's so much off the field stuff happening at Texas. You know, what what do we what do we get from them down there in Austin? Yeah. Uh, the yeah. band isn't going to play. They're they're boycotting. The fans are surely going to boo something. Uh, there's going to be high drama there in Austin. Can you imagine on Saturday afternoon if Baylor goes into Austin and beats Texas? Can you imagine the shitstorm that's going to face Tom Herman? Uh, there's going to be peaceful protests everywhere out on those streets, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it, it, it's kind of funny, you know, OUTCU was probably one coming into the year that, that fans, you know, kind of had highlighted. But um, in terms of just pure overall, uh, you know, what I'm looking forward to seeing is the conference, OUTCU, that, that might be third. What Iowa State making the trip to, to OSU. If you're an OU fan, you better be a big-time Cyclone fan this upcoming weekend. Uh, we need Iowa State to knock off Mike Gundy that, that makes the road to the, to the Big 12 championship that much more easier for OU, especially given the fact that Iowa State has a couple big-time matchups coming their way with K-State, with Texas, with Baylor, uh, all those. So that, that, that'll definitely be one that I'm interested in. And again, Baylor at Texas. Uh, Texas favored by nine. I, I, I thought about that one, but again, I, I just don't know what you're going to expect from Texas. Um, they say it's not a divided locker room. They say that, you know, there's, uh, that that's not a toxic culture right now down in Austin, but I just don't know, know what to expect. There's so much stuff going on outside of football itself. There's so many problems within Texas um, outside of that football program. So, again, it'll definitely one, be one that I'll be tuned in to see. And we haven't seen Baylor play but two football games this year. So, uh, giving them a couple extra weeks to, you know, kind of get acclimated, give Dave Aranda and his staff more time to get everything installed and, and practice rep and ready to go, I'll definitely be tuned into that one also. Yeah. Um, I will say we should keep an eye on West Virginia. Uh, they're going to Lubbock, Texas Tech. With uh, Columbia now, uh, I think it's Harry Columbia. Um, so what that's a name. In, I, that's really interesting because he came in uh, when when Bowman got hurt against Kansas State. 
didn't really do a whole lot. We thought Bowman was really good, you know, the last couple of years. So that's interesting. And I think the better West Virginia looks, the more that helps OU because then West Virginia, Iowa State, West Virginia, Kansas State, those are no longer gimme games for, for those teams. So uh, I'd like to see West Virginia look good. Joel Klatt made an argument for them getting to the Big 12 championship game uh, this week. I don't know that I'm there yet. I'm going to have to see a lot more from from their offense. I think that that's a great point, and especially given the fact that OU's got both of those teams still remaining on their schedule, both of which are away games uh, outside of Norman. That'll definitely be one to kind of keep your eye on. I don't know how much how much of it I'll actually watch, but I'll definitely be following the, the game cast of it. So there's really not a bad game in the Big 12. I mean, I guess you could say Kansas at K-State. Any team that's playing Kansas, um, especially after losing Puka Williams, uh, it sh- should be a shoe in as far as a guaranteed victory goes, but um, who knows in, in a rivalry game like you that. You never know with a backup quarterback in a rivalry game. It might be over by the end of the first quarter, but I hope so. We'll, we, we'll we get need, to that here in a little bit, but yeah, I hope we, it is. We need K State to lose, so there's some intrigue there. Go less miles. So yep. we'll see. We'll see what happens, and that that kind of brings us over to uh, I guess what probably the best ranked matchup. Uh, across college football for, for this upcoming week, weekend. Correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm missing one, but uh, talk about a battle in the AAC heavyweight matchup. SMU at home against Cincinnati, number eight versus number 11. And Adam, I'll throw that to you. I really don't know too much about Cincinnati. We've had a chance to watch SMU a couple of times. I love Shane Bouchelle, what, they, what those guys are doing down there in Dallas. But kind of is that one that college football fans should be excited to watch or is it kind of two lower tier programs that just haven't lost a game right now you know smu's been in some dog fights and they've they've come out they've got a senior leader in shane bouchelle so i love what they have offensively uh, on the opposite side you've got cincinnati who is uh, a luke fickle you know defensive minded team um, they've also got a, a pretty solid quarterback play as well they've had some games moved around it was kind of disappointing we i think we all wanted to see them you know, against tulsa we're, we're not really sure what tulsa is quite yet but um I think this could be really exciting. I love that they have an 8 p.m. time slot to really get some exposure. It's, uh, I mean, Michigan, Minnesota starts at 6.30 and then Cincinnati SMU at 8. So they're going to have the entire window for the second half there. So I think it could be pretty exciting. The team that wins that is going to get a major boost. Um, Cincinnati's already at 11, SMU's at 18. It'll be interesting to see, for example, if Cincinnati wins this game, if they're able to hang on to that type of ranking and they'll probably move into the top 10 with a win but are they going to be able to hang on to that type of ranking with Pac-12 and Big Ten teams coming back into the and when you say boost are you thinking winner of that game becomes a dark horse to kind of sneak into that playoff at the end of the year if chaos ensues I think so I, I feel like the AAC is continuously gradually just little baby steps every season becoming bigger and bigger player in the playoff discussion and we'll talk about a little bit in a minute but i mean if there's a spot open and you've got an undefeated cincinnati i don't know how i feel about smu at at this point because they're they're mainly offense but cincinnati with their defense and the way they play i would feel pretty strongly that they would be in high consideration there yeah and and also uh, fans keep an eye out for uh, for byu um, yeah, that that's a team that they've, they've got a lot of skill guys that they've been fun to watch Had a chance to check them out last weekend. Uh, definitely. They're not the know. best independent out there though. That would still be the Liberty flames. 
Hey, uh, <laughs> Hugh Freeze, you guys won me some money last weekend, so keep keep, <laughs> keep it going. Uh, but again, that that'll definitely be one again good exposure for two uh, for two. I don't want to say lower tier teams, but again, non SEC, Big Twelve, ACC. That'll definitely be a good one to to keep an eye on. So, uh, and then let's kind of round it out on the national college football landscape, Adam. Uh, SEC. Um, I think that we've gotten uh, some clarity. Uh, and some answers over the last couple of weeks, um, seeing, you know, which teams are pretenders, which teams are contenders. Alabama, at the end of the day, they're still king. They still sit at the top after what they did to Georgia. I thought that Georgia played well for a half, but, again, Nick Saban made those adjustments, uh, really flustered Stetson, Matt Saris, and Bennett in the second half. <laughs> and, again, the the skill guys, the Najee Harris, Mac Jones, that Alabama offense is really good. I, I don't know who else you could – could, could put up with it. Clemson for sure. Maybe Ohio State. We'll see what they've got. Uh, but Adam, let me get your thoughts on this and we'll we'll kind of move on to the next thing. To me, you've got Alabama. They're, I, I, I don't see any way in which they don't work, where they don't win out again with COVID. Maybe it impacts a couple guys. I see Alabama winning out, winning the, winning the SEC. But you're also in a position now to where you've got three one-loss teams in that conference that can essentially run the table and and really make a really good case on why there should be two teams representing the SEC in the football playoff. Let me explain why. There's three teams right now, two of which are going to play each other. You've got one lost Florida. You've got one lost Georgia. Those two teams are going to play each other. One of those is going to get knocked out. If you say, say Georgia beats Florida, they run the table. They go all the way to the SEC championship game. They beat Alabama in a rematch. You've got a one lost Bama, one lost Georgia. If if Ohio State loses a game, I seriously think that the playoff committee puts in two Ohio or two SEC teams. But here, let me also throw this one at you, and I want to get your thoughts on it too. Texas A&M. They've got one loss. They've already played the hardest part of their schedule. They've essentially got what five five games remaining. They will be significantly favored in all five of those games this year. And again, you pr- pull up the schedule. Uh, if you get a chance to, but again, A&M, they're going to be significantly favored. If they can somehow manage to run the table and go nine and one, that's going to be an extremely hard thing for the playoff committee to, to not put them out. If chaos ensues around the country, when you're one loss, again, I know that it was an embarrassing loss, but your only loss is essentially to Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not sold on. Am I stretching it too far there? (laughs) Um, Maybe I'm just not sold that they're any different than they they have been in previous years. Um, They did get a nice upset of Florida. Uh, The jury is still out a little bit on how good Florida is. They they look great in their first couple of games on offense, but we all saw that they had problems on defense, um, regardless of who they were playing. So it's not completely shocking that they they went in and lost a shootout at Kyle Field. Uh, this is this is AM's remaining schedule. Arkansas, who is one of the top defenses in SEC now, out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be a challenge. South Carolina, they they beat Auburn uh, at home. Uh, AM has to travel to South Carolina on November 7th. And they're kind of a curveball right now because they play a more traditional style, you know, slow it down, huddle up. Tennessee in Knoxville. Tennessee doesn't look very good right now. I don't know how much of a challenge that's going to be, but they've got some talent there. Ole Miss uh, at home at Kyle Field, they've got some offensive players. So, you know, that could be another shootout. We'll see what happens there. 
then they've got LSU and Auburn to finish it out. Both those teams have the talent to, to beat them. So they don't have any gimmies really. Uh, and and I don't, forward. I don't expect them to, to win out. Hell, they, they could lose at Arkansas next, next weekend. And I would, I would, I would be fine with that. So, but, yeah. but again, I think that it's definitely looking, it's definitely looking like um, the, the case, if there was ever a year where you could get two SEC teams in, this is a year where I think that a case could strongly be made uh, to get two of those teams in there. So, well, I will say A&M is the best positioned because I don't think that the winner of the Florida Georgia game has any chance against Alabama. I mean, look at look at Alabama's defense getting better throughout the season versus Georgia's offense getting better. I feel a lot better about the uh, the former than the latter happening. So I don't think that anyone from the East has a chance at the playoffs this year. I think your your best shot is is A and M getting in. So do do you not think that Georgia getting J T Daniels back is that a big enough difference to close the gap between Alabama and Georgia? Because I, I, I hate. Maybe I mean he didn't do a whole lot at USC that inspired much confidence. Now maybe he's he's better now and he's more experienced and and once he gets healthy maybe that makes a difference. But he's still thrown to the same receivers that Stetson Bennett has. He's still got the same running backs who are not nearly as as good as what we've seen in years past at Georgia. So I don't know. I don't see them. I mean, just looking at the Alabama offense, they have just absolute titans out there on the field you know, just destroying any defense they play. I don't see how that happens. And, uh, and so I feel like the SEC is probably a one, one playoff uh, team this year. I think you've got Ohio state and Clemson. And then that fourth spot is up for grabs. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think the big 12 is out of it by any stretch. Well, I, 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 I always, and again, if OU wins out, if, if OU is able to run the table and win the Big 12 championship, I always want the opportunity to compete and win a national championship. But after watching Clemson the last two weeks, I do not want to see this OU team. I still think they're a year away. I do not want to see that secondary. If you thought it was bad watching Buki and Pat Fields try to cover K-State and Iowa State, can you imagine what Trevor Lawrence and that group could do to that OU secondary? I I, I don't want to see it. I, again, I think I think OU's a year away. And again, I, I'm not even super confident that OU's going to get through TCU. They're going to play extremely well to do it. But no, it, it's I mean, going to be just fun to watch. The case, I'm just making the case for the Big 12, not necessarily OU. Yeah. Well, uh, I would say that at this point right now, um, OSU uh, might be the only. Probably. Only Probably possible best, team. Best shot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Adam, let's uh, let's kind of dive into our uh, our betting card for the week. Again, you you kicked my ass last weekend recapping week seven. Um, I went, uh, let's see, I went four and three last week. I went, I picked one additional game than you did. I did a live bet only because Mississippi State's running back at the last minute. He, he they announced him as out, so I said, okay, that just that was a good pick. That was a good pick. So yeah. having a and M, but. Uh, four and three last week for me, six and six on the year, 50% winning percentage. Hey, not, not winning, not losing. We'll, we'll, it's only up from here. You, Mr. Jacquez, on the other hand, go five and one last week. God, I hope you put some money out there actually. Uh, five and one last week. That's the week of the year so far, seven and four on the year. You've got a 64% winning percentage right now. Hats off to you, man. Well done. 
Yeah, this could be the week that it comes crashing down. <laughs> I, I I don't feel confident in hardly any of my picks right now, but that could also mean I, I'll go 5-0. and So we'll, we'll see. Well, I won't make anybody wait any longer. So, uh, again, we both we all, we all both picked five games. Excuse me. Adam, start us off with uh, game number one for you. What do you like? What are you putting money on this weekend? Yeah, I like NC State. Uh, they're a 17-point underdog at UNC. Uh, UNC really hasn't dominated too many opponents so far. They were in a dogfight with Virginia Tech. They lost close to uh, to Florida State last week. They they lost close or they won close against Boston College. Uh, this one is at home, but I think NC State's a solid team. I think they'll they'll keep it within the 17. I am going to have to admit I have not watched one single snap of NC State this year, and North Carolina coming off of a loss in which they were pretty embarrassed on that they made a pretty good second half comeback but uh, North Carolina coming off of a loss Sam Hallett quarterback I don't know if they can if they can um, beat NC State by more than 17 so uh, that might be a really good pick though you never know Um, number one for me (laughs) after seeing the the opt-out from Puka Williams at Kansas Kansas is on life support anyways every single year um, going into their rivalry game against Kansas State in Manhattan. I was shocked when I saw Vegas come out with this line. Uh, Kansas State favored by 19 and a half. As soon as I saw that, I put money on it immediately. So give me K-State to cover 19 and a half uh, against the Jayhawks this upcoming weekend in Manhattan. I will say the devil's advocate to that is K-State is playing a backup quarterback. Other than Deuce Vaughn, they don't really have very many explosive weapons, and they're not a team that's going to run up the score and if you want to go play ahead and at a put, fast pace. If you want to go ahead and put K-State on upset alert, Adam, go ahead, <laughs> I'm not, dude. I'm not saying upset alert. I'm just saying 19 and a half. I, I guess three touchdowns. They, they should win by that, but yeah, there are some factors there that could make you think one way or the other. Um, I thought I almost thought twice about it because I bet on West Virginia last week to cover against Kansas, and they did it. West Virginia scored a touchdown to to cover with two minutes left, and then uh, I'll be damned. Kansas runs the kickoff back with Puka Williams doing it for a backdoor cover. So uh, that that was a bad beat last week, but I like K State to cover nineteen and a half uh, this upcoming Saturday. Nice. Similar line. I've got Tulane. They're a twenty point underdog. They are playing at Central Florida. Uh, Tulane definitely has the ability to, to score the ball. Uh, so I think that they can keep it within that. I think, I don't think it'll be a close game, but I think they can get it within uh, three touchdowns might be a garbage time touchdown at the end. Uh, UCF has some real firepower on offense for sure with Dylan Gabriel, but uh, I don't think there's that much better than Tulane. Is this two weeks in a row after all the Josh Heupel to Texas talk that you were that you were putting out there are you thinking uh ucf is going to be in a dog fight two weeks in a row i don't know it'll be a dog fight but i i don't think it'll 20's be a lot i don't think it'll be a, a blowout lot. yeah yeah so okay well i i, I like that uh no, number two for me this one was other than i don't know you could probably make the case that this was just as easy or obvious probably the better word as the as the first one i gave alabama traveling to knoxville to take on tennessee tennessee at, that, that, that was some of the worst football that I've ever seen played from an offense last weekend. Uh, the, the quarterback play at Tennessee has been atrocious. Alabama minus 21. I think that uh, Nick Saban, they finally got that defense fixed after getting exposed against uh, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. And as much as, as much as Alabama's defense may not be quite where it has been in years past, 
Again, you switch over to the other side of the football, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Jalen Waddle, and what, the two other – Devontae Smith and the other first-round NFL receiver that I can't remember his name right Mechie. now. There, yeah, there's just too many weapons on on that side of the football. So Alabama minus 21, um, I like that in Knoxville this weekend. I'm in agreement. That's my third pick. Uh, I had to go back to 2015 to find a Alabama-Tennessee matchup that was within 21 points. Tennessee is reeling right now that they've lost two straight games by pretty big margins. They fired their defensive line coach. Somehow Jeremy Pruitt's going <laughs> to coach the defensive line and be the head coach. Seems a little tricky there. And, uh, and then on top of that, they are kind of undecided on who their quarterback is. I'll give them a pro tip here. Start Jarrett Garantano. He's your <laughs> experienced guy. He's probably your best guy. But the fact that they're undecided there does not make me feel good. I think this should be – this is the one I feel the most confident about. I'll well, we're, we're definitely in agreement on that. Uh, I think that the tide rolls uh, against Tennessee on Saturday. So uh, pick number three for me. Uh, I'm staying here in the Big 12, Iowa State, traveling to Stillwater on Saturday afternoon to take on OSU. Over-under on this game was set at 52. And looking back at it, and Iowa State, and again, I'll have, to, I'll have to pull up their schedule, but Iowa State has given up some points in all but two of their games, uh, or excuse me, all but one of their games. They gave up over 30 to OU, over 30 to Texas. We all know how explosive that, t- that uh, OSU offense is. Are we going to get Spencer Sanders at the quarterback position? I don't know. Probably a game-time decision. Mike Gundy's not really tipping his hat at it. But the reason why I'm going to go with the over on this, I know that there's a lot of hype right now around Oklahoma State's defense right now. They've, they've played extremely well. I think they're holding opponents to nine points a game right now. They've also played the two worst, probably what, the two to three worst teams compared to others as far as Big 12 play goes. So – you're giving me 52 points. That's what eight or eight touchdowns between the two and four quarters of play. Brock Purdy on one side, Spencer Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, uh, Bryce Hall. I think that that goes over, and I think it'll be a good game. I think Iowa State wins in a shootout on Saturday. I agree with that. I, there's too many weapons out on the field. You do have some solid defenses, but um, I, I feel like that should be a fairly easy over on the 52 there. You would think. Um, I went uh, I went a little bit uh, the opposite way with with my next pick. I went with an under. I uh, I of course am going into the Big Ten where they don't score nearly as many points. I'm taking Maryland at Northwestern. Uh, Maryland is not has not named a starter as far as I know. It could be uh, Tua's little brother there, but they're going to have a new quarterback, so um, don't like their chances of scoring too many points. And then Northwestern, they do have the Indiana transfer. Uh, Peyton Ramsey there. He's a solid quarterback, but neither of these teams are known for scoring very many points. <laughs> I don't think the pace is going to be very big. I think uh, I'm hoping and, and betting on the fact that uh, their offenses will look a little bit sluggish coming out of the gate. And I think that that's a safe bet by, uh, you know, picking the over under because if there's one conference, if there's two teams in one conference where you can expect an under to hit, yeah, it's definitely the low scoring big 10. So I, I think that and that's I- a good, I, think I should mention the, the over-under is 57. I'm taking the under on that. Okay, you're taking the under on that. I think that's, yep. a, good, think that's a good pick. Um, number four for me, uh, I'm staying in the Big 12. Uh, I'm going to travel down I-35 South, just a couple hours, Oklahoma at TCU. Over-under on this game set at 59.5. Uh, went back and did some research. OU giving up 30 points a game. TCU giving up 29.7, 59.7. Well done, Vegas. 
I think that I, I think that this is an over, and, and let me tell you why. I think that OU is able to run the football in this game, and that's going to free up the ability for Spencer Rattler to make a couple big-time plays through the air. Um, and as much as I want the OU defense to play a really good game, and, and I think that they will for the most part, I still don't – I still see Max Duggan making a couple big-time plays with his legs to, to kind of keep it uh, – keep TCU up with OU for, for at least a half. Um, but, but again, I, I think that OU pulls away in the second half, but I, I definitely see this one going over 59 and a half. I think it's, I think you're right on track there. We'll, we'll see for sure. But, um, my final pick, I stayed in the big 10. I, this was the one that I felt the least confident about. I left it blank up until the last moment on our, on our notes here. Uh, originally I had really wanted to take Michigan state Rutgers. Their over under was 44. I don't see hardly any playmakers on offense for, for either of those teams, but that over-under is, is pretty low. So I ended up going with Iowa at Purdue under on the 54. Iowa's breaking in a new quarterback this year. They love, love to run the ball and play solid defense. So um, I think the pace of that game is going to be really slow. Purdue, on the other hand, um, their head coach might not be there. There's been some talk about how he might be able to virtually uh, – communicate with the team since he is uh, has tested positive um jeff brom that is but i, I don't know I, i'm not sure that uh that there's enough firepower there to hit the 54 <laughs> i if i ever touch an over under it's always the under and the fact that you've you've picked two back-to-back unders in, in the big 10 i that's that's a bold bold strategy con but i i like it um, it is <laughs> any any game that doesn't have Ohio State in the Big Ten always a, probably a good chance that it goes under. So yeah, um, for my fifth and final game, I'm going to stay in the Big Ten as well. Um, Michigan traveling to Minnesota. Minnesota is a three point underdog at home. This is the game of the week in the Big Ten. Michigan breaking in a lot of new faces on both sides of the football, particularly at the quarterback position. And Minnesota, PJ Fleck. 2019 was the best season in program history for for Minnesota, and you've got Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman back on the offensive side of the football. So I think that I think that there's probably too much value being put on Michigan uh, going into the season, and not enough being put on Minnesota. I know that the home field advantage doesn't really come into play during this this 2020 season with COVID going on, uh, but Michigan traveling, give me Minnesota at least a cover. And I think Minnesota wins outright against Michigan on Saturday. So um, Minnesota is going to take down the khakis. I really like that pick. Um, surely Minnesota has had better years than what they had last year. It may have been when Bud Wilkinson was winning championships as a player with them, but uh, it's been forever. Michigan might win by 30. So just because I picked that, but who knows? So. <laughs> All right. Well, we're moving into a little bit of a fun segment here. Uh, we're going to try something that's a little bit unusual. Um, we're going to step into a little bit of a fantasy land, a hypothetical world where college football coaches can make midseason trades, similar to how the NBA and the NFL operate. And so we're going to do a little bit of uh, some phone calls. I am going to play uh, just some different college football coaches. Uh, calling Lincoln Riley, who will be played by by Tyler, and I'm going to propose some trades for you. You tell me if you would accept or or deny the trade. You might just uh, hang up as soon as you hear it, or maybe there's some back and forth. We'll see if we can make a trade that makes sense for for both teams. All right. 
Okay, let's go for it. All right, ring, ring. This is Lincoln Riley. <laughs> hey, Lincoln. This is this is Mike Leach down here in Mississippi State. Things aren't going so well. Uh, I, I got a trade. I, I got a trade. I'll, I'll send you. I'm going to give you Kylan Hill, our running back. We don't need running backs. And uh, and in return, we want Chandler Morris, uh, Trevin West, and Stacy Wilkins. And this. And remember, this, I gave you your chance as a coach, so uh, you should do this. Yeah. And th this is Kylan Hill's last year, right? Uh, Kylan Hill is a senior. He rushed for 1,300 yards last year, 10 touchdowns. Uh, well, Pirate, um, I'm going to have to deny that trade because I like what I've got in my running back room right now with Pledger and McGowan and the fact that I'm about to get my best running back probably. I'm about to get him back and Ramondre Stevenson. I'm going to turn that away. Um, Stacey Wilkins, I know that he's opted out. That's too good of a left – that's too good of a tackle prospect and – and uh, in this day and age, I can't afford to uh, get rid of a quarterback recruit, especially uh, not a four-star in Chandler Morris. So uh, I'm declining that one. Okay, go back to your fat girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I understand that. I, the running back is, is a position that we probably want a little bit more punch out of. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's quite a bit to give up there. So I like that one, though. What, what you got, number two? All right, number two. Ring, ring. What's up? Lincoln, this is Gus Malzahn. You need a receiver, badly, a go-to guy, and I've got one. His name is Seth Williams. He's six foot three. He went for over 800 yards last season and eight touchdowns. He's a jump ball type of guy. He's he's going to be your go-to. Uh, in return, we'd like to have Chandler Morris for family reasons, and uh, the rights <laughs> to Kennedy Brooks should he uh, return to play in 2021. That's a good one. Um, Seth Williams for Chandler Morris and Kennedy Brooks. What what uh, what year is Seth Williams right now? Seeing underclassman still, or is he a senior? I am pulling that up right now. I think he is an underclassman. He's a junior. He might be a guy that that goes early though. So this might not be a popular pick, but I think I'm going to turn that one down also. And the reason for that is, I I, I think that getting Jaden Hazelwood back in the next couple of weeks. Again, I know Seth Williams; he's an NFL type player. Uh, but I also I like what OU has coming in at the receiver position uh, in the next two recruiting cycles. Um, and I'm not I, – I, I, one, I didn't think that Kenny Brooks was the best running back on this team last year, uh, but I don't know if I'm willing to trade away, again, uh, a, for a sure-hand running back consistent along with Chandler Morris. So as tempting as that one is, that one's definitely more tempting than, than what Mike Leach had to offer me earlier, uh, but I, I'm going to turn that one down also. Yeah, I, I don't know how we feel about Kenny Brooks, if he's for sure coming back or if he'll – maybe transfer or go to the NFL. So I, I think he kind of is out there as just a, as a thought, you know, an idea maybe that <laughs> if he comes back, he might be good, but no one really knows. Well, and I'll take it one step further. If, if OU signs Kamar Wheaton, I, 
I, I mean, I, I know that I, – I, yeah, I mean, Kenny Brooks, I, I don't see him getting much playtime next year. So, if, if he wants to walk, then go for it, man. So, what do you got, number three? Uh, you're 0 for 2 uh, on trade requests. Well, this one might be this one might be a good one. Uh, ring, ring. What's up? Lincoln, this is Brian Kelly coming from to you from South Bend, where I am very underappreciated. I've got something you need, and you've got something I want. I would like to trade you Kyle Hamilton, 6'4", 218 pounds safety. He had 41 tackles last year and four interceptions. He is the missing piece on your defense. In return, I would like to take Theo Weiss, Charleston Rambo, and the rights to Jaleel Farouk off of your hands. We need some vertical passing abilities here in Notre Dame. And uh, we can scratch each other's backs. Let's let's make a deal. You want Weiss, Rambo, and arguably my best incoming receiver commit. Well, we'll take Mario Williams if you like him less. <laughs> uh, okay, last last thing before I make my decision, and I I should know this off the top of my head. What uh, what grade is Hamilton in? He is a sophomore. So he's at least got two years in Norman, 6'4", 218. Prototypical, ideal size for what you want in that in that speed D uh, defensive scheme. But you're asking me to give up my best receiver, Theo Weiss, of course. And the third guy that you want, who was the third guy? J- Jaleel Farouk? And Rambo. Uh, okay no no deal and this is why yes hamilton is a is a fantastic football player and again he's got the, he's got the size what you want at that position but i'll keep theo weiss on campus and welcome Jalur farouk with open arms because i know that i've got justin harrington coming back from injury going into next year so i think I'll, about- i think i'll decline that one how about uh, Kyle Hamilton for Jaden Hazelwood and the rights to the play like a champion sign? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think I'd take that one. I think I'd take that one. Jaden Hazelwood, I think he's going to be good. Um, but again, I don't think Notre Dame does that, actually. No, I, think I, I, they, I, I think they need several playmakers. Uh, well, I, I think they would want the sign rights more than they would want Hazelwood. Hazelwood's a hell of a player, but that's kind of a joke. They think they already have the, the rights to the sign. Yeah, they, don't. they stole it from us. But that's a that, that's a good one though. That's the best one so far. Okay, I've got two more. Uh, ring, ring. This is Coach Riley. Hey, Lincoln. This is Phil Montgomery from up the Turnpike in Tulsa. Uh, I've got uh i've got this receiver keelon stokes you've probably never heard of him but he's pretty good uh he had uh, 66 receptions for over a thousand yards and seven touchdowns last year from a quarterback that i can't even remember his name and you've probably never heard of him either do you hear that uh, do you hear that i just hung up (laughs) (laughs) i want want to hear the rest of it though i want to hear the rest of it Uh, i'll give i'll give you keelon stokes for tanner mordecai and marcus major Ooh. 
Is this after? Want- is this after the season, or this is an active trade right now? It's an active trade right now because Keelan Stokes is a senior. I still don't think I do that. I, I know that he's a really good re- receiver, but I I don't know though. I, Tanner Mordecai and Marcus Major. Marcus Major. Now that we're going to get Stevenson back, his carries are going to be almost slim to none. Tanner Mordecai, solid backup. Not not going to you know not too great. Not not too bad for a senior wide receiver when we've already got a pretty good pretty good group at the receiver position, and you're about to get Bridges and Hazelwood back. Yeah, I would argue. I, though, I tell you what. Can, you don't can have you, anyone that's proven. Can like, you include Zach Hand? <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> okay. No, I think I'm going to turn that one down too. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, last one. Ring, ring. All right. This is Coach Riley. Hey, Coach. This is uh, Mike Norvell down here in Talon Nasty. Uh, we just had a, a great big time win. We're, we're on the up and up, but uh, we need to still be thinking about the future here. So, uh, I would like to, to give you my best player, Marvin Wilson. Okay. And uh, and you'll just send us a few spare parts that you really don't need. Uh, we'll take uh, Andrew Rame, Noah Nelson, David Aguebu, and the rights to Kennedy Brooks. Run that by me one more time. Marvin Wilson, who he's a junior this year, right? He's draft eligible. Uh, he might be a senior, uh, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's going to the draft after this year, regardless. So just a nice piece to, to fit in there for Jalen Redmond, not being able to, if he's a senior, no way. If he's a junior, read it back to me who I have to give up. Kennedy Brooks, David Aguebu, Noah Nelson and Andrew Rame. Oh God. Um, Andrew Rame is going to be my center, starting center next year. Um, or Chris Murray. Chris Murray. David Guaybu is going to be my starting middle linebacker for the next two years. Uh, Marvin Wilson is a senior. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm going to decline that also. Uh, no, no magic at the trade deadline here in Norman. <laughs> no. Um, uh, let, let, let me throw one back. Go ahead and say what you're saying. I'm, I'm going to jot down one right here that I've, that I've got for you. I will say, I think maybe some of these trades make more sense if OU has one or zero losses right now. Okay. With two losses, I think, you know, you look at that and go, eh, I don't know, maybe it's not worth it. Just keep what you have and continue on. Versus if we had Marvin Wilson and all we had to give up was a few guys here and there, that could be the difference in a championship defense. So I think it does change the, the perspective. Okay. Same, okay. same with a guy like Kyle Hamilton. Um, any, any, any missing piece where you're just like one piece away from really feeling like, okay, now we can, we can take on Clemson or Bama and feel a lot better about our chances. Yeah. Uh, versus two losses in, you're just kind of looking at it going, eh, I don't know if that really makes much of a difference. Let me let me get your thoughts on this one. I, I think that this uh, th- this might be enticing. Um, so you're, you're Lincoln Riley now. Um, this is Matt Campbell at Ohio State. Lincoln, I got a good trade value for you. Something you can't possibly turn down. I'm going to give you Bryce Hall, my star running back, 
And in exchange, I want Woody Washington, Marcus Major, Mikey Henderson, and Kelvin Gilliam. I want you can have Bryce Hall in exchange for Woody Washington, Marcus Major, Mikey Henderson, and incoming freshman next year, Kelvin Gilliam. Uh, well, first of all, thanks. Thanks for the call. I'd like to let you know that there are no updates on any of the suspended <laughs> players. Uh, and secondly, uh, I will refuse that trade. Wow. I, I, I look at that and go, yeah, Bryce Hall's good. He's very good. You're getting him for a year and a half because he's going to go pro. Um, I don't think Woody Washington is a guy that I would want to give up. Uh Marcus Major, Mikey Henderson. I don't, I don't know that. I'm not sure that Iowa State does that because trading Price Hall for Marcus Major doesn't. I don't know. Maybe he would be good at Iowa State. Oh, you chose Marcus Major over Bryce Hall. Yeah. Their so that, that's an interesting storyline there, trading those guys. But um, yeah, I don't know. Not just knowing that enough. you have Stevenson coming back. It's if Stevenson comes back and he is what we think he is. Would you even want Bryce Hall at that point? Let me let me ask you this. Or Bryce Hall. I keep saying if Bryce. <laughs> I'm I'm Ohio I'm Ohio State, or excuse me, I'm Clemson, and I have two five star defensive tackles and a five star safety committed to me. Would you trade that for Caleb Williams and Kamar Wheaton? No, no, no way. Okay. I agree. Because, I mean, there's not very many Caleb Williams out there. I definitely don't think you give up two of them for one defensive tackle. But if, you, if you're giving no, that up. Two, two defensive tackles, one safety. Oh, okay. So three players for two players. Correct. I'm going to give you – you give me Kamar Wheaton, Caleb Williams, and I'm going to give you – I'm okay, and I'm gonna even sweeten the pot. I'm gonna give you two defensive tackles and a safety, all three or five stars. And by the time those three players leave Norman, they will be a top two round draft pick. All three of them will be. I'm thinking no, because we're not that far off. Uh, Perry and Winfrey, I think, can be a top two round guy i agree i, I, I agree. feel like he's on the roster safety there's a little bit more unknown there but there's potential there's potential with washington and justin harrington um i don't think ohio state would want would want to do that switch i mean i i'm sure they have some good quarterbacks coming in and, and good running backs uh, uh you know abound there so i don't i don't think there's much value in them to do that type of trade but it's a theoretical world so i don't know i just i, I the way college football is going and you seeing Alabama doing this where they're really just still outscoring people. I, I don't think OU's that far away from really being able to compete. It's, it's, it's not having, you know, the best defense is what we need. We need a good defense, just a, just a good defense to just make Just a it. solid, good defense. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree yeah. wholeheartedly. So, well, Adam, before we get out of here, OU TCU, 11 a.m. Fort Worth, Saturday morning, Spencer Rattler versus Max Duggan, Lincoln Riley, Gary Patterson. Adam, who wins this game? What's your score prediction? And what's how's the game go? 
You know, I, I do think that we will get probably our most complete game out of out of the team so far. Uh, I I think it will be definitely a challenge for Spencer Rattler to go up against the TCU defense. You know, Gary Patterson's going to throw a lot at him, and uh, but I still think we get a good performance out of him. I'm going to go with OU 34, TCU 17. 34, 17. I will be extremely happy uh, if that's the outcome. Um, and oddly enough, wasn't that the uh, wasn't that the score uh, going into the fourth quarter? OU Texas. No, 30. Uh, it's- 31-17. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you. You've got them winning by 17. I've got them winning by 18. Uh, I think OU goes in there. Uh, I think that the offense puts it together uh, for four quarters. I've got OU 45, TCU 27 uh, for a total of 80 – or excuse me, for a total of 72. That's going to hit my over. Uh, OU is going to go in there 45-27 over TCU. And if if Iowa State goes into Stillwater and knocks knocks OSU off, then it's 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 game on. So um, again, I, I like OU on Saturday. It's going to be a big time game. We'll be tuned in for sure. Wish we were going down there. I'm not paying two hundred dollars for a ticket on StubHub right now. Those tickets are more expensive for OU TCU than they were for OU Texas. Um, but again, it's definitely going to be a fun one. A lot of good matchups around the Big Twelve. Big Ten's back. A lot of good college football this upcoming weekend. And Adam, anything else before we get out of here, dude? No, I'm excited to, to watch some more football. I will uh, be grateful for any that I can get. I'm that way normally every year because the season seems so short, but especially in a year like this, give me anything I can get. One million percent. Well, again, appreciate you guys for listening. Go uh, follow us on Twitter at the mainline pod one. Listen to the podcast, like and subscribe, leave us a review. Again, always appreciate you guys for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully breaking down a great performance, uh, OU versus TCU, as we look forward to uh, Oklahoma's trip down to Texas Tech. So, again, Adam Jacquez, appreciate you for joining us. Tyler Burton signing off here from another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Boomer.